0: Just to launch this conversation. This is our playground.
1: They have spontaneous conversations. They don't play in this. I mean, there's actually something sort of spiritual about
0: that. What's he do? He's a human being. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a sexist feminist. We
1: should be friends. (laughs) (laughs) Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Rob and Callie Show. My name is Rob K. I'm a life coach in New York City, and I'm here with my friend Callie Albert. What's up, Callie?
0: Good evening, Robby K. How are you doing? Big I'm, smile on your face tonight.
1: I'm doing so much better <laughs> than I have been. I just <laughs> want to welcome everybody to the end of Mercury retrograde.
0: Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, this—it
1: just—I said it on a show before. It kicked my ass, and I'm just glad that we're getting to the the shadow, the end of it. <laughs> Thank you, Mercury. I've learned a lot. Uh had some tears along the way, a little bit of pain, and I've grown a lot. So thank you, Mercury Retrograde. Wow,
0: look what, look what happens in three weeks with you. I know. That's like major progress. That's a whole lifespan for a lot of people. That
1: is. Yeah. That, I feel like I've grown like a, at least a, a foot. So, uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah, you're much you're lighter and you're taller. So oh happy. my I'm gosh. About
1: that. How about you? How are you been doing with it? Um,
0: you know what? I actually, because I'm very sensitive to Mercury Retrograde. We've talked about this before, and often I feel it without being fully aware. That it's actually about to happen. Yeah. Um, this one was more about buttoning up loose ends, old relationships being tied up, than it was about technical things or communication fallout, except that when it was supposedly over Thursday, last, you know, what, what's today, Tuesday? So last um, Thursday, although there is that residual, as we call it, what the shadow side that um, happens afterwards, right? Yeah. Or the shadow days, mm-hmm. I started feeling it more. Like right around Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And it's a good attribution for when, you know, you're communicating poorly or you're fighting with somebody or you're feeling more agitated. Just attribute it to that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I did feel a clearing. I felt the clouds sort of lifting and I feel um, and cert- a lot of forward momentum for me in a lot of areas in a very short period of time. Yeah. So suddenly spinning a lot of plates again mm-hmm. rather than just, well, I was going to say something tacky, but I won't. No, we're t- we're t- we welcome Tacky <laughs> to the show. Pulling my head out of my ass, like usual. There you go. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, no, it's been it's been good.
1: It's been yeah, good. it yeah. was um, those lessons, you know, no pain, no gain. Oh and it's like, you know, I think it's what separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls. I really do. And I was talking to Callie earlier and I said, you know, I've learned so much about when I, you know they say you learn a lot about yourself when you're in pain, like how you handle it, do you act out? do you hurt others? do you hurt yourself or are you able to sort of like express it and get through it? And I learned a lot about myself the last two or three weeks, how I deal with pain. So I'm just glad that I'm actually smiling tonight.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, I was just before I, because I drive in from um, New Jersey to come do the show if I'm not in New York already for something else. Right. And I often, um, just to anticipate traffic, I end up getting... T- in, you know, to the area early, and I always go to the coffee place that's you know a few doors down and sit. And so tonight I had a Pema Chodron um, book with me that I was just reading a few pages from, and you know I'm a huge fan of hers, and I've read a lot of her along the way. Right. Um, but the first two pages were all about that. You know, we're, we as human beings are so conditioned to try to escape pain and seek pleasure, and if we could just delve into it almost in a not opportunistic way but almost with a sense of inquisitiveness and excited you know excitedness about it like a kid does um and just accept everything that is and sit with it rather than resisting it it just makes a world of difference it sounds so simple But it can take a lifetime at least to practice. So it sounds like you did that.
1: I did. And one thing I just want to remind everybody of. And first thing, I just want to thank all the listeners again, all the people listen to our show. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Um, We have a great guest tonight. But I just want to remind everybody about the value of naps. I learned this past weekend, you know, as I was, you know, going through some of this stuff I'm talking about that once in a while it would get so intense and just a little overwhelming where I just needed to, like, take a nap and take a break. And then I'd wake up feeling refreshed and better and just have a different perspective on things. So it doesn't matter what age you are. Naps are great.
0: I'm not a napper. I actually never nap no oh, okay. ever but i appreciate what you're saying and sometimes you need to shut down and most people i know enjoy a good nap yeah. for me it throws me off you know the only time i do it is if i you know, fly somewhere very far away and then need to stay up because I get there in daylight and a whole new day is in front of me. That, right. You know, I haven't slept before. Um, and then maybe I'll just crash for a few hours, but I never nap. It's not comfortable for, and enjoyable to me. Yeah. I know that's rare. A lot of people really appreciate them. But hmm. anyway, we're uh, not all like you and me.
1: That's right. That's right. Everybody's different. That's what makes the world go round. So we're coming to you from the talkradio.nyc studio. Sam is on the board tonight, and let's introduce yeah, our guest.
0: That's enough about us. So
1: this is a great guest who's on Sam's show, and I'm like, you gotta be on our show. <laughs> we just steal and gas from we're going to talk about the workplace. <laughs> what would you say?
0: We just steal guests. We just pull yeah, that's right. Around here,
1: that's right. Um, are you busy in two weeks?
0: <laughs> what do you do? Do you have
1: a life, or you want to stop by? Or oh, you have a life, but you do want to stop by? We don't have a life, and that's why we're here. So no. So our guest um, is great. Tonight, we're going to talk about the workplace, challenges in the workplace, anger in the workplace, mm. and have some really great takeaways and stories to tell. So, our guest is Jackie Kelso. Jackie is president of Point Maker Communications, and she is the retrain your brain expert. Jackie had a successful 23-year career in media sales and sales management with really high-profile companies, and she... Became certified as a trainer for Dale Carnegie Training. And it made her realize that helping people become who they are meant to be was her calling. So welcome to the show, Jackie. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Callie. So nice to have you with us. And, and Jackie, I need to thank you because you gave me a little um, tutorial on how to better use my voice, <laughs> which I'm going to have to practice. You're doing great. How's my projection and my breathing and all? Now I'm just joking. We'll get to me another time. Really good. But thank you for that.
1: That's right. You sound great. We all sound <laughs> great.
0: We all sound great.
1: <laughs> so welcome to the show. So Jackie, one of the things that really resonated with me when you were on Sam's show was you were talking about your background in sales and the kind of person you were then, which I was in car sales, I'll talk about after you. But um, you talked about the kind of person you were back then and then eventually evolving into becoming a trainer, a coach, and doing what you do now. So it'd be great for you to just talk about the arc of that whole sort of evolution.
2: Mm, Thank you. Um, you know, I was a really angry person, <laughs> and uh, walking into media sales as a career ended up being a fantastic thing for my personality because I was aggressive, I was performance-oriented, and uh, it was a great outlet just to fight to win. The problem was also that my emotions ran high, and I wasn't in control of them. So uh, one of my bosses uh, once sent to, said to me, uh, Pashkis, that was my maiden name. I can't imagine anyone ever saying no to you. And I thought, well, isn't that a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> he actually he was quite intimidated by me. And um, at one point, uh, I, you know, he had asked the whole team to go into his office and sign up to have a meeting with him. So I went into his office to uh, to put it myself in his calendar and I see in red ink on his planner fire pashkis question mark.
0: Oh Lord. Oh, I was wow. I was out
2: of my mind with rage. <laughs> wow. So I ran down the hallway to the head of sales, said, What the hell is this? I probably used other language than that. What the hell is this? And they sat me down and they said you know, we think your sales are amazing, but if you don't stop yelling and screaming and carrying on, we're going to fire you. Because mm. I would tend to yell at clients, I would yell at assistants. I, you know, I made myself very clear. Um, <laughs> Can <I> ask you, <laughs>
0: ask you, what you were so angry about?
2: Uh, just is that just feeling you? not in control uh-huh. of things and uh, wanting to control? That uh-huh. was the basis for it. Um, but so it was coming out in the in the workplace a mm-hmm. lot, and also there there were uh, you know things in my private life. My mother had died a couple of years you know while while I was still very young into my career, and so there you know just a lot of things I was dealing with. Um, but the the atmosphere uh, in the media sales business in the eighties with MTV and I was actually working there, uh, you know it, it kind of promoted being yourself. Being out there. So it was really a nice home, except that I I really took it too far. And I I didn't know how to reel it in. So instead of firing me, they sent me to Dale Carnegie.
0: Mm. Wow. Your your bosses sent you? My
2: bosses sent me. Interesting. Because I was billing so much for them. And I think they saw I was really a good person. I just didn't know how to deal with my own emotions. I don't know
1: if you know this, but Dale Carnegie almost had his own show on MTV. But they rejected the idea, so... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, like I think right he passed on. away long before MTV. <laughs> yeah, he
2: passed away in fifty five, so right. that would have been uh, really interesting. That would've been like
1: Andrew Jackson <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Jackson talking about the Civil War. Yeah, right. from the it,
0: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> From <laughs> Beyond. Exactly. <laughs> right.
1: I think this thing MTV is gonna do great things for people. <laughs> it's gonna be videos all day long yeah. and then eventually not. <laughs> right, exact, exactly. exactly so anyway, not. Yeah.
2: Um so I went to Dale Carnegie, and it had a profound influence on my life. Not only did I wake up to realize that um, I had a choice of the kind of impact I could make on people, but it gave me the tools of how to really handle myself. And uh, I can't say that I perfected them at that time, but I, I used them enough to carry me through for a very successful and lengthy career in media And then in the beginning of 2002, I was fired from uh, my job as a VP of sales for a women's internet company. And I sat at home and I was thinking, you know, I'm 40 something whatever I was at the time, what do I wanna do with my life? And a good friend of mine had reminded me that I had wanted to become a Dale Carnegie trainer. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know when I called Dale Carnegie they were just about to hire and bring in a whole new set of trainers. So it was synchronicity, mm-hmm. really. And, uh, and so I went, that, that was it. So I ended up going through their certification program which was very rigorous and took a long time so I still had to take a job in, in sales. So my last corporate job was wonderful for me to really practice what I was learning as a trainer in training mm. uh, and being in the sales environment. Um, and then I leapt two years later and fully invested in this career. So I ended up working at Dale Carnegie for thirteen years, mm-hmm. and in that time was tested <coughs> quite a bit on dealing with my anger.
1: <laughs> so I
2: have I have some interesting stories about the proof of that. If you want to hear them, or we can move on to some o- other topic, whatever you want to
0: do. No, go ahead, tell oh, a story. Yeah, no, okay. I'd love to hear because I can relate to this. You know, I my whole in fact. Y- I wonder, well, we'll talk about it when, off, after the show, but I almost feel like we might have encountered each other because I was also working at Viacom at that time, you know, because my whole tra- professional trajectory is in television, especially right. early on. So we'll talk about that offline. Um, but that said, I know this industry really well, and, you know, we'll get to a little bit more of this later. But um, some of these industries that are more creative often are confusing because they're not as compartmentalized. They don't have the same boundaries. And in some ways they are feeding grounds to quote unquote be yourself, which often means without containment. You know, Absolutely. so I understand what you're saying about you know the fact that part of you probably did well with that energy, and then the other part of you knew that it wasn't you know appropriate.
2: Absolutely. I ha- and this is where the brain work comes in. I had to really learn how to build tools to acknowledge the uh, rush of cortisol flooding my brain, which would produce the fight response, st- halt it, and make a choice of how to respond. Uh, which is really what I teach people to do today.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right, well, we're going to hold on that story because we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll talk about what brain-based coaching is, and we'll talk about some of the anger stories that you can share, and I have my own to share as well, and we will be right back.
0: Welcome back to The Robin Kelly Callie Show here on talkradio.nyc. We have the lovely Jackie Kelso with us tonight. And we, before the break, we're talking about, um, well, anger in the workplace. And you're going to share some stories.
2: Thank you, Callie. So uh, to, the proof for me that I, have, I had really changed really came at the time when I was fully being a trainer and a coach. I was already out of sales. And it was very delightful for me to see that I I had a handle on it. So one circumstance was that I was promised uh, to be able to train in this large corporation. I was promised by my boss that I was going to be the trainer for this large corporation. And one day I walked into the training room and I see all these notes from another trainer about the training coming up for this company. And... steam was coming out of my ears because I had been lied to. And then the trainer walks in and I said to him, oh, I see all all these notes you have uh, for this company. He said, yeah, we're going to be doing this big thing and it's going to be a couple of years long and it's for a lot of money. And I said to myself, I used some mantras. Number one, detach and breathe. And I said this privately to myself, detach and breathe, detach and breathe, which actually brings... Awareness to the executive brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, managing the emotions coming from the limbic system. And after that, I said to myself, My feelings are none of his business. Mm. And I could feel myself calm. And I said to him, You're going to do a great job. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> and you're like, Where did that come from? I know, exactly. Was like,
2: this is me. How did you yeah. feel while you
0: were saying it, though? Did it feel intellectualized or did you really feel it?
2: It felt intellectualized. It was not a feeling like I'm really joyous for him, but it was a professional way to go. And I never even brought it up to my boss because there was no point. It was a done deal. The old Jackie would have stormed into my boss's office. How dare you? I'll never forget one time during my MTV days when I got a new boss in. I walked up to him and I said, okay, this is how I see you. You have, one, you have one and a half votes and I have one vote. That's how your role is in my mind. That was the beginning. Wow, you
0: did have boss. I like my the mom. New
1: York accent with it too. It <laughs> yeah, just it was, goes along wow. with it. I was a
2: heavy dude, I yeah. was a heavy dude. <laughs> yeah. um, and the second thing that happened that really showed me that I'm walking the walk was that having a boss in, in this realm of training who one day sat me down and I could see he was reading off of his computer a list of things. And he said to me, I want to go over some things here uh, about changes that you're going to have to make. And uh, if I see one sign of negativity on your face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How does one gauge what a sign of negativity yeah, is? Really, it's very subjective.
2: It's very subjective. He said, we're done.
0: <laughs> and
2: now I needed the the gig. So I couldn't be done. But I thought this is the perfect opportunity to deal. Right. So he listed, I don't know how many things, and they were so ridiculous that I could feel the rage.
0: Rot. I mean, they were
2: ridiculous.
0: He, like what? What's an example? Um, Do you remember?
2: The the box in the training room was messy. <laughs> it didn't have s- s- x amount of pencils in. I mean, something like uh-huh. that. It just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So uh, so. I said to myself, okay, I'm going to Dale Carnegie him. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> there you go. So one of the principles of Dale Carnegie is to give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. Mm. So I said to him, wow. You know, it really takes a lot of courage to have to criticize so much at once. <laughs> 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 that, that, is that passive uh, oh. aggressive
0: or is that Dale Carnegie? <laughs> it was It was Dale, well, Dale <laughs> Carnegie.
2: Um, because remember that the goal for me was to stay in my integrity and not lose my cool. Um, Because the whole thing was vicious and it was psychological abuse, frankly. So it was to get his brain calm, which is the goal. When you're in a leadership role and you see someone losing it, you want to do your best to get the other person's brain calm. Mm -hmm. So by validating him and acknowledging him, that was that did it, Yeah, and it was victorious. I realized that I really have embedded these tools into my real knowing, mm-hmm. and I can impart them. I can transfer this knowledge. So um, it's a really handy thing to have. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I'm guessing that's what brain-based coaching is. It's watching your thinking, adjusting your thoughts, and changing your thinking in situations or with yourself, is that right?
2: It is, it's, it's literally taking your wiring uh, because we cannot deconstruct old wiring. It will always forever be there. That nine-year-old will always be in you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can make that nine-year-old real quiet mm-hmm. by building up a whole new neural network that comes from you know using the prefrontal cortex, which processes information coming from the limbic system. And uh, and teaching yourself, and I think by way of mantras is a really healthy way, talking to yourself, detach and breathe. Mm. I got this. It'll be okay. My husband has the coolest one. Uh, you know, from West Side Story, boy, boy, yeah, crazy so he,
1: boy. He, he, yeah. All
2: his mantra is, <laughs> <laughs> he
1: just snaps. It, he's just a jet.
2: It, he's a jet that's it exactly (laughs) so and that works for him Hmm. so everyone kind of has to find his or her own thing that's going to calm the brain down and but you really have to be committed to it because there is nothing that's natural about it in the beginning
1: You know, when I was in car sales, I got into a fight. you were going to
0: say when I was incarcerated. Yeah. Well,
1: Callie, that's another show where we're going to talk about being an ex-convict, but that's not tonight. So um, felony? Who has a felony? No, no, no. So, um, but when I was in car sales, I was in my 20s and I was so high strung from the stress of sales. I loved it. I was a warrior in the car lot. I was a car dog. We were all competing against each other. Yeah. At the same time, I could not handle the stress in a healthy way. And I got into a fight with with every single person in the used car department. And I remember when I got into a fight with an ex football player who played for the Bucks because he was in Tampa, where he was looking at me like, dude, you're crazy. You know, like, because I was like this skinny guy in my 20s and he's like this ex running back football player for the Bucks. I realized that I had a little problem, you know. And I remember (laughs) at that time, I started to read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I started to read about watching my thinking more and try and control the stress the way it was taking me over. and I think I could have used your services back then.
2: <laughs> well, you got through it. Yeah. You got through yeah. it. You got through it. Uh, the, the brain-based stuff comes through the teaching I have from the Neuro Leadership Institute, which was founded by David Rock. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's wonderful to have that as an additional tool when coaching people because really everything comes from the brain, the way we communicate, the way we interact, everything, the way we think. So um it's a handy handy dandy tool to have as a
0: coach. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So we should say just to back up that the um for our the um for our listeners the the limbic system is really sort of your dinosaur brain, right? <laughs> or where all the kind of or lower chakra whatever just where all the more reactive, less filtered stuff comes from, right?
2: Well, the yeah, the limbic system takes up the largest real estate in the brain. It's in the middle of the brain and it's the emotional center. And there's a piece of it called the amygdala. Which is kind of like our our security guard, if you will. Every 12 seconds, it will tell us internally whether we feel safe safe or not. Mm-hmm. And if it determines I don't feel safe, it's going to send a signal um, to flood. The, the, the body with some cortisol, which is stress hormone, and when that happens, it literally shuts down the thinking part of the brain. So you can't be in an emotional rage of fighting, or flight, you know, which is to withdraw, or mm-hmm. freeze up, which is a real phenomenon, or appease, which is another form of defense mechanisms where you're saying, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it, I'll fix it. That That's the equivalent of a fight response for some people who yeah. are, have more passive tendencies. So uh, the prefrontal cortex isn't in action when we're acting out out of threat or stress. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have to get control of it by building muscles in the prefrontal cortex. Right,
1: right. So, all right, so we've talked about losing your temper at work. If you have anger issues, you know, get get into therapy, call Jackie, start getting help with it. Let's talk about bullies in the workplace. Yeah. And also mm. this idea that you talk about, which is not fighting back, is exhausting and rewarding.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, as you know, I just mentioned with, the, with a couple of incidents that I had, one, one specifically with that boss, it was very rewarding not to fight with him and to keep my job, but but also, we, we always have interactions with people who are not in control of their emotions or who are themselves bullies or aggressive that trigger us. They push our buttons. Um, so the idea is to, to know that on the other side of not going pulled, getting pulled down to someone else's drama is a tremendous victory and reward. And the key to, to uh, having that victory is to produce facts, FACTS facts. When we speak from facts, uh, we actually keep ourselves calm and others calm. So in a specific interaction I had with a client recently, and this was an article I, ri- I had written about um, not fighting back is, is rewarding, is exhausting and rewarding, is that she was really out of control. So all I, so what I did was something called validating and labeling. Uh, so I said to her, oh, it just seems that we have a miscommunication. So if I hear you correctly, what you need is X. Did I hear you right? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, yes. And I said, okay, I'm gonna follow that up in an email. So the idea of detachment, again, is critical. and And then validating what the other person is saying or labeling. Labeling is when someone is clearly upset. You'll say, gee, I see how frustrated you are. And I can understand how frustrating this is. We don't ever want to say, "I see how upset you are," because mm. if we, no, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not mad. But we, so we don't mm. use emotionally laden. What words. makes
0: you think I'm mad? Yeah, exactly. It's always a hard one to hear. I've always had a hard time with that. Yeah. Exactly.
2: I can understand how frustrating this is, and I would feel the same way. And the facts are X, mm. uh, or and here's here's what I heard you say. Did I hear you correctly? And that that really pulls the whole drama out
0: of the interaction. And it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now I'd like to speak to um, because this all sounds really rational and I appreciate it as tips. But in the um, I'm just thinking of examples, plenty of situations that I've lived through mm-hmm. where there wasn't the opportunity for this type of conversation because um, both people weren't willing to have it. One was or I I'm thinking about myself now where I tried. Um, or I try to go to a supervisor, or um, and often it was with uh, being kind of I want bullied, not exactly. These are people that were very nice people out of the workplace that I didn't necessarily have an issue with, um, you know, as human beings. But in the workplace, use the drama and the high stakes and the pressure to sort of excuse really lousy, mean, nasty, sideswiping behavior, mm. and yet those are the same people that weren't able to have the conversation with me to sort of calm it down. That's right. And it was very, very painful. I mean, this like really pervaded it made my whole experience very very difficult for me mm-hmm. and it lasted for a few years
2: mm, i'm sorry to hear that um look people have to be ready to want to change and they have to be willing to get out of the stress mess that they're in if they're not there's nothing we can do about it the key thing is to protect ourselves by not going down there with them so um, and it does take a lot of work to stay detached enough to not uh, let it go into our our hearts and, and really affect our energy so negatively. But the thing is to forgive yourself and uh, and not let yourself feel badly about it because I'm sure that you did the very best you could at the time. I mean, it's it's very hard in the middle of a heated situation to pull back, but it can be done
0: amen amen to that <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd actually like to talk a little bit more about this we're going to take another break and when we come back i have a few more questions for you that might be like applicable knowledge for people that aren't necessarily in positions of power or hierarchically because i think it might vary depending on like where you are in, in the hierarchy perhaps um so and i'll pose that question to you when we come back we'll be right back welcome back to the robin Kelly show here on talkradio.nyc we're speaking with jackie kelso um, i also before we get into our next segment i just wanted to acknowledge because you know i love our global map it always makes me happy so sam just um let me know that we have listeners from all corners of the globe that we'd like to welcome and thank um cambodia puerto rico fort lee new Jersey, my people china spain the uk germany florida and I already said New Jersey. So we appreciate you all. And we love just the fact that we have so many um, ears on the show from different corners of the globe at the same time. It's fun. It's it's armchair travel for me. Yeah, it's know? like
1: you get to vicariously use your passport, <laughs> exactly going well, the that's, country. That's be kind like, of as oh, far I feel as like I've gotten, I just traveled like, the world. Yeah, I've been, and uh, and know. also I just want to remind everybody: this is uh, we're coming up on two years of the show. Mm-hmm. So thanks everybody for supporting Amen, us over yes. the years,
0: and we will talk about that more when we get right, right maybe in the next week or two. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. Celebrate yep. ourselves. So um, before the break, Jackie, we were talking about um, just sort of the difference. I'm um, um, questioning. Uh, in theory, I think all of this is really um, important and uh, and valid and makes perfect sense. From an applicable standpoint, just personalizing some of my own experiences, and for the um, for the value uh, the benefit of our listeners, you know how do you how do you work with this if you have a boss who doesn't treat you kindly and you can't you can't go over their head, you can't go to HR, or your boss is enabling your equal. To be this way because this is, and that's what happened with me, um, just because it's the nature of the machine and we've got to get it done and it's difficult enough and the, you know, the pressure cooker is extreme enough that we don't have time to sit here and make nice with each other. Everyone just needs to get to be who they are because they've got, um, I guess, that much value to the overall machine of getting, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So nobody cared, frankly. And, you know, I just want, so how do you, how do you deal with something like that? Or how do you advise people in a situation like that where it's not very civilized?
2: It's very hard to manage this when the culture embraces that kind of um, behavior. The only thing you can do is protect yourself. The only thing we ever have control over is our own behavior. Yeah. What what goes in our mouths and out Mm of our our mouths. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is how toxic is that environment? Is it one which cuts off your circulation, your creativity? Mm -hmm. um, And you can just ride through it. And the key here is to recognize when people are behaving that way, it's about them, not you. It's their feeling of not being controlled. It's their feeling of not knowing how to handle themselves. They don't have the tools so it's really, you know, and that I think that's why so many uh, people have troubles and why I certainly did in the past was cuz I would personalize it. It's really not about me. And yeah. I think having that mindset is a way of dealing with it. Now there are two schools of thought. One is to go up to the boss and say, "I, you know, I just would like you to know when you said this to me that it it was. It felt. It felt disrespectful. And I really want to have a healthy working relationship mm. with you. I'd love to work on our communications. I'd like to know what I can do to improve. Um, I'd love your feedback on that. Th- there's a school of thought of doing that, and then there's another school of thought of can I let this go? Focus on doing the best I can, and go home and have my mm. life, and yeah. not get pulled in. Yeah, right. There's no right or wrong. Um, it's just whatever you choose to do, you do with diplomacy.
0: I was, and I was on the unsuccessful end of both of those scenarios where I wasn't giving myself enough permission to, um, have a voice because I was too worried about how it might impact my, um, job and rock the boat. And I didn't feel a sense of support. So I wasn't brave enough to do it, you know, and then I'm sorry. And the other one was, um, oh, let it go. And I was internalizing it too much. So I wasn't able to do that. So I was stuck in the middle. And so I appreciate you, you know, sort of distinguishing and reminding me of the way it's supposed to go.
2: Well, and and that a lot of people don't have the skill set to do either. Mm. This is why we need great coaches in the world. That's, That's right. right. That's, That's right. why you're here, baby. So,
1: so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the person who has trouble speaking up and using their voice, and maybe clients who you've had who have challenges with that. Like, what do you tell them?
2: Mm. You know, a lot of people come to me because they lack, they lack assertiveness, and a lot of people come to me because they're too aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with people, you know, with regard to speaking up, being assertive, uh, I have a I have a client who would sit in a meeting and not say what was on her mind, even though she knew that it would add value to the meeting and to her coworkers, because she was afraid of how it would come across. And what we identified in the coaching was that it was her little girl inside of her that was screaming at her, mm-hmm. um, not the adult who really knew what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. So we had so we worked on identifying those parts of her, so she was clear that there was nothing wrong with her. It was just a bunch of old wiring that was still living in the past because those wires that reflect us as children don't know that it's not in the present time, that the threat is not in the present time. It it feels as if it's happening back in 1969 or whatever the year is. So, um, So that was what was happening. So she came up with a mantra, which was, speak up. And with that, she wouldn't even give herself a chance to doubt that, but mm. just the, the words started flying. And as she started experiencing just speaking up, she started to build more confidence. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so now she really is at a point of not even hesitating yeah and people are are reinforcing wow you've really (laughs) wow you're i'm hearing you now that wow you have a lot to say and it's it's really helping her heal
1: Mm, that's so great and what was that quote about butterflies and formation
2: so a lot of times when people are asked to speak at meetings or they have presentations they have what we call butterflies in the stomach They have all this fear. So, and I wish I remembered the name of the person whose quote this is, but um, it's about taking those butterflies and putting them into formation. Mm. It's not about losing the butterflies, it's not trying to lose the butterflies. It's just about recognizing them and doing something else with them. Mm,
1: which That's is, nice. Yeah, it's so great because we don't talk a lot about public speaking on the show. So it's so great to have an expert talk about it because people always have to speak publicly eventually in yeah. business. Yeah, and
0: it's one of the most universal fears, I think, that a lot of people experience, isn't it? One yeah. of the biggest ones? <laughs> Actually, what
2: Jerry Seinfeld's line, it was great, is the number one uh, fear people have in the United States is public speaking. Number two is death.
1: So <laughs> people
2: would rather uh be in the
0: casket than give the eulogy ah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's good that's uh, a good line that's, that's so a good funny
0: line. yeah so to the point uh the story about the uh, um mantras and just the repetition of creating something that empowers you and helps you find your voice or whatever it is that you need to kind of help um can we go back to the neural trend the the neural reprogramming isn't it like a um is isn't it is it 28 days or 40 days or something like that is Isn't there some concrete amount of time where you really can retrain your brain just with the power of thinking
2: i don't know how many days it is but it is absolutely what i would call a time phased process and with practice 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 it's a very mindful approach
0: because when you first do, I mean, and and I've done it or attempted to do it, I should say, in different capacities, because it all of this great advice really speaks to all of life beyond the workplace, doesn't it? Um, and often when I find myself doing it, though, I feel like a total like imposter, and I feel like it's so in my head and not in my heart that there's only so much discipline I can have to repeat these thoughts or these you know positive thinking or ma- attempt to manifest or whatever it is you i know? feel that way every show <laughs> we do
1: i'm like i am faking everybody out because they think i know what i'm talking about you know? yeah right
2: <laughs> i am so glad you said that callie and rob because if it feels unnatural you're doing it right
0: oh all right
2: there's a point at which suddenly you're just doing it. It you know there are levels of uh, being having unconscious co- incompetence and then conscious incompetence, conscious uh, un- uh, conscious competence and then unconscious competence. So if it's unnatural in the beginning when you're in the stage of conscious incompetence, you're doing it right. And the mm. more you practice that, it becomes unconscious competence.
0: Mm.
1: That's okay. fantastic. That is great. So, um, all right. So we've covered so much already. <laughs> Let's talk about basics about public speaking. Let's talk to the person who's listening and they're getting ready for a presentation at work. They're really nervous. What can you recommend they do during this presentation as far as speaking in public?
2: <laughs> not think about how afraid you are that that was a story we were talking about before that in my early days of coaching and training i was telling a a, a participant all right don't don't be afraid you're going to do great don't be afraid and he walked out he walked right out the door because it just when you say to someone don't be afraid it just makes them more afraid <laughs> The idea here is that when you're teaching someone how to be a good public speaker, you're focusing on a lot of things including the content. And those other things have to do with their congruence, with their body language, eye contact, facial expression, uh, gestures, and engagement with the audience actually Having content that the audience is interested in.
1: You, you sound like you're describing my last date. I just <laughs> want you to know, right? <laughs> when was that, by the way?
0: Sharing stories.
1: Actually, it was recently. But anyway, <laughs> enough about me. Back to you, Jackie.
2: <laughs> <That's> so funny, <laughs> funny. Yeah, well, that's just it. It's it's that ninety uh, percent of the most important parts of communication are nonverbal. Yeah. So when you're public speaking, you want to focus on those nonverbal signals. So instead of worrying about your butterflies, you put them into formation by asking yourself who am i looking at am i smiling what's my posture like and what's how much enthusiasm am i generating Uh, How am I addressing my my audience? Those are the things you you think about because those are things you build on when you're being trained to be a good public speaker. Mm -hmm. So and there's no magic. I I really want to emphasize there's no magic about being a great public speaker. It doesn't matter how scared you are. It doesn't matter uh, how much experience you have. But it's building a skill set and practicing. That's what it is.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and knowing and just being confident probably in your own body and knowing your stuff, right? Knowing your oh, You have to be an expert so you don't in have your to ma- think.
2: That's right. You have to be an expert and Dale Car- in your material and Dale Carnegie is one to say uh was one to say never memorize a speech. Never. Yeah. Yeah, you want to know the material but it never has to be wrote, you know, word for mm-hmm. word in in
0: an order mm-hmm. like
1: that. Yeah, it's like an actor learning their lines mm-hmm. where the lines become a part of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is it also true that thing about... I'm actually lucky. I'm again the antithesis of this because I enjoy public speaking, and I started doing it at a very young age and entered all these oratorical contests. So I was very yappy and kind of confident in that area. And I'm, I'm weird like that. I not can't that even I don't imagine that. What are you <laughs> talking I know all about? The blathering that I do all the time. To you. poor you, um, it's not that I don't get nervous, but I just I enjoy it on some level. But is it true that um, if you you know they used to say um, envision the audience in their underwear? <laughs> Remember that one? It was like <laughs> such oh, a yeah. I think the Brady Bunch. I was going to. Episode. That was a Brady Bunch episode, right? but That it's, was a Brady Bunch. Is episode. that true? Is that does that work these days?
2: Uh, I've never, I've never coached anyone to do that, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. But if it works for you, great. <laughs>
1: That's so funny. All right, so we're going to head to our last break. I can't believe it. this show has flown by such great stuff. Um, when we get back, we're going to talk about some takeaways and, and some other things in the workplace as far as maybe that younger generation, those millennials, and how they fit into the workplace and what Jackie's philosophy is about how they interact. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Robin Callie Show. Tonight our guest is Jackie Kelso, the Retrain Your Brain Expert. We've covered so much. This has been a great show. Um so We were talking um, off the air and just leading into the last segment, we're going to talk about millennials and this confidence that they have. And I was telling Jackie before the show, the story about our show, how we had been procrastinating on starting a radio show and doing a podcast for years. And then a millennial that Callie knew had been doing a podcast for a while. And she called me one day and she said, we got to do this. If he can do it, we can do it. And so that's how we started this show.
0: It, It was more, it wasn't even about if he can do it because he's a very capable, smart, guy very interesting um charismatic guy it was more that he wasn't in his own way and that to me was sort of a um a reflection of a generational psychographic thing that at least i generalized so that's what that was
1: right right so jackie talk to us about millennials and and um what your theory is about how they fit into the workplace how they interact with other generations
2: uh i have been fascinated in my study of uh, the generations in the workplace. And th- what what I've understood about millennials, well, first of all, let's take a look at who millennials' heroes are. They are themselves millennials. So let's, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is a, par- is a prime example. They are entrepreneurial in spirit because their heroes are entrepreneurs and successful ones. When, you know, I'll be 58 in July, what heroes did I have? Lee Iacocca,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Barbara <laughs> Walters, <laughs>
2: Barbara Walters. I mean, Gloria Steinem. They. I mean, I knew about <laughs> them, but they weren't my heroes. You know, and and my generation of baby boomers grow, grew up. You you know, you follow the hierarchy. You do this and you get promoted. You do this and you get promoted, and it's all a vertical climb, mm-hmm. right? right? And but but millennials because baby boomers are their parents mostly, um, have a different take on it. They have an entrepreneurial spirit. They're they are studying things in college that we didn't have even words for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um and so the culture is that they're coming into the workforce with an entrepreneurial spirit. So in teaching people how to manage millennials is to understand that that what motivates millennials is when they are embraced as a whole person, not just as a worker bee, and that their expectations are absolutely set and and understood about what is possible in the current job. Because millennials frequently complain that, I didn't realize I'd be doing this one task you know, 12 hours a day for two years. I don't want this. And so they leave. Mm. So it's very important to communicate expectations both ways so that the boss also knows what the millennial's interested in. And what's been successful in keeping millennials uh, engaged is to give them passion projects, to let them Mm -hmm. be themselves. So, for example, my niece, who's 22, works at uh, Vice, and, which is made by millennials for millennials. And that's why I
0: haven't been able to get a job <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That makes two of Callie's us.
1: Callie's like, oh, now I understand.
2: So, that, so, so that she's a production assistant, but she's flying to Brussels and Mexico to be a photographer. She went to Coachella to do photography because they know, oh, she's got the skill. We can utilize that, and that's what she wants to do. So they're promoting her engagement and i think the confidence confidence in millennials is there mm-hmm. and confidence can be broken when managers don't see the potential and actually challenge them up to you know up to their potential so that's that's really the onus on on bosses but also the onus on millennials is to start speaking Unlike a teenager and more like an adult. So lose right. the like every other word? Right, the
0: upspeak at the, the end of the and, sentences. Right, and, everything
2: sounds like a question. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of the coaching I do with millennials is to lose the up speak, mm-hmm. to lose like, and, uh, and to start understanding uh, what an executive presence is which is appropriate for their age, looks like. Yeah, right, right.
1: I have a great like and um story just quickly. It's off the topic, but I was walking down the street last year and it was dusk and I think it was springtime and this young couple was walking past me and the girl says to the guy, did I say like and um a lot? And I just thought it was so cute because they probably were coming from like their first date or something. And she was just asking, did I say like and um a lot? I thought it was so cute. Anyway, sorry. So back to millennials so, um did
0: you, yeah, i well, I wanted to say something in that point because I've. Um, you know, I've, I've over the years uh, interviewed a lot of millennials, hired a good amount of millennials. And we were talking a little bit about this offline, you know, that I used to joke. And and, and I still don't know how good I feel about myself when I say this. But it's honest, which is, you know, the good millennials and the bad millennials, it's, as judgmental as that sounds. I say it with a smile um, that, you know, for everything you're suggesting, which is very productive and probably the adult way to handle Um, that that demographic there's a part of me and a lot of people that I came up with that find it to be really entitled and lacking a sense of humility Um, and you know and again that's there's a generalization there and certainly there's people that fit it and don't but so how do you reconcile those two things
2: well, I think that speaks to a level of maturity or lack thereof, and I think that it's important for more mature people to recognize that all that entitlement stuff. Because I I've heard it too, and I've had participants in classes that sound just like that. That it, it's really just a maturity thing, yeah. And they to, that that they once they really realize what work life is about, hopefully will lose it. That in that sense of entitlement, but I really think it's. Giving giving millennials uh, more latitude to be, you know, in their twenties, or because you you don't really see. Well, I haven't really seen. I should say, too many millennials in the thirty four age category, the 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 the, um, the oldest set Other of millennials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't see them with that attitude as much. But it's really the incoming ones in their twenties, and I think they just. It's just being patient with them.
0: Mm. Right, you're way more gentle and forgiving than <laughs> I am. This is yeah. where I'm way more angry than you are, Jackie. <laughs> we've, got, we've come to the part of the show where I'm right now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm angry. And full circle than, back know. to <laughs> Callie's anger. Yeah, no, and I'm and I'm really you know, and I'm not. But it's something that I've you know, I've been around a lot and um, had a lot of conversations around, and tried to be sensitive. And a, a lot of my you know favorite um, colleagues slash employees that I've had over the years fit into this demographic. Mm. So mm. you know, um, but I do think that. uh um, Uh, I I think that there's also maybe the part where I am a little angry sometimes is that I feel like for all of us, all of us humans, that it's nice to honor the shoulders that came before us. And especially Mm. as we women and you and I are peers and came up at about the same time that it was a very, very now I sound like an old lady that, you know, back when I was doing it, it was really hard for women. But it was and we had to fight our asses off just to get decent. Um, positions yes. and so that's the part where I get a little sour because I feel like the I can do it and, and yet at the same time I envy um, and appreciate the well I'm just going to make my own rules and I'm going to do it my own way so I have very mixed feelings about it because there's a part of me that's secretly a little bit probably a little jealous too you know uh, that they have that totally. sense of sort of empowerment that I didn't have at that age you it, know.
2: Mm. I, it's to, That's totally understandable and you know I wrote a recent uh, article Uh, that's um, in the job market, 50 is the new 65.
0: I was going to bring up that line because that really broke my heart reading that.
2: Yeah, thank... Well, yes, um, thank you for reading that. And it's getting a lot... It's traveling around the world, that article. I'm very proud of it. Mm -hmm. But in the story, when I was 27... Well, you read the article, but the audience may not have, and Rob may not have, is that essentially when I was 27, so my millennial stage... um, this was back in 1986. A 50-plus person had been fired from his job, and I was working for a media company at the time. And the minute I heard that, I packed up my stuff and moved it over to his desk. And I started filling his desk with my stuff. And I didn't realize he was still in the building. So he came over to his desk to pick up a box, and he saw me doing that, and I looked up at him, and I, I was devastated. He, he said, you're a vulture. You're a vulture. And he was right. Mm. So, you know, I really understand that attitude from being a young kid and feeling entitled. And I'm really glad I grew out of that. So what I would say is, let everyone have their own painful experiences and Mm -hmm. let them grow out of them.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's about balance because like I try and make use of millennials and their confidence and their positive, their self esteem, you know, try and be inspired by that. And at the same time, maybe they can learn humility and just, you know, some lessons about respect that we learned growing up, you know, in a different generation. I think it's sort of like one generation learning from another. Mm -hmm. Um, We're getting to the end of the show. So, um, I think the last thing that I want to talk about, you've offered so many takeaways this show, but what about the person who's tried to use all the tools that we mentioned at their job and they just think it's time to go? How do you know when it's time to go?
2: You know, it's time to go when you feel that you have an internal victory of having risen to the behavior, the thinking, uh, and the productivity that you've give that you've risen Uh, With your own personal goals and professional goals and there's an inner feeling of it's time and you must abide by that. That's your instincts telling you. So I think it's really relaxing about it and letting your own wisdom tell you that it's time to move on because Mm -hmm. it will
0: never fail you when you do that.
1: Mm hmm listen to your inner voice and use your voice. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That's always, that's a lesson. And again, a lot of what you're saying really seems to me to pervade all of life outside of the workplace as well as inside of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's right. We could call this episode life with Jackie Kelso. (laughs) Oh
0: my God.
1: So thank you so much for being on the show. Jackie, where can people find out more information about you?
2: Thank you. Thank you, Robin Kelly for having me. This has been so much fun. You can find me. I'm all over the web. Uh, my company is called Pointmaker Communications, so you can Google that. I have a website. I have a Facebook page. I'm on LinkedIn, and my name is Jackie Kelso, and that's K-E-L-L-S-O. Uh, you can think of the 70s show, Jackie and Kelso, because everyone <laughs> always tells me that. That's right. But it's the two L's that makes me different. Anyway, <laughs> um, so there's, that's it. You can find me easily, and I hope to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really interesting to listen to you and your tips and your story. So thank you for enlightening everybody. Appreciate yeah. that.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Jackie. So this is the end of another episode. Thanks for listening, y'all. Take care.